0: What's going on, everybody? My name is Charlie, and welcome back to the Breath of Fresh Jets Podcast. Ooh, finally got that right this week. Past two weeks, I've been kind of mumble jumbling words together, but got it right that time. Today, we're going to be breaking down the Robert Sala hire, which I missed by a few days last week. Uh, uploaded the podcast a day or two too early, just before I could, uh, you know, announce that news. Um, we're going to be going into his history as a football coach. Uh, what his staff may look like, and the word on the street about that. We're going to talk quarterbacks, we're going to break down the divisional round that happened this past weekend, and take a look into the conference championship games upcoming, and maybe even get some Super Bowl predictions going in here. So first things first, the man of the hour, the hire of the century for the Jets, 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala is expected to, or excuse me, he signed his contract yesterday, Uh, He will be the head coach of the New York Jets for at least the next five years, or at least be getting paid for the next five years to be the Jets head coach. Um, This is a really exciting hire for for the Jets. He was probably the top candidate out there, and no one expected him to come to the Jets. Everyone looks at us as a dumpster fire. Everyone looks at us like we're the bottom of the league. But what Joe Douglas is doing with this franchise is he's giving it respect. He's, He's making sure people know that this is not a franchise to be messed with anymore. We, you have to respect us. This isn't a place where free agents come to cash in. This isn't a place where mediocrity is accepted. We are now turning into a formidable, competent franchise. And I think with the Sala hire, that solidifies it. And from here on out, all gas, no breaks, as our new coach likes to say. So I was, did a little deep dive on Salah after the hire. I mean, I, I broke down a little bit uh, when we were going through uh, candidates the Jets had interviewed in our first episode. But taking an even deeper dive into his resume and his career and his, just his life in general I opened my eyes to the kind of guy this really is. So Saul is a Michigan native. Uh, he went to Fortson High School. Uh, he played tight end there. Eventually went on to Northern Michigan University and played four years of football there. Tight end all four years there. He earned all-conference honors. After college, he got a finance job working in the city. And this is where his story really starts to get interesting. So he worked in New York uh, along with his brother. His brother worked in the Twin Towers at the time of the September 11 attacks on the World Trade Center. And Sala thought his brother died in the attacks. He thought he was in the, in the building still, which is truly tragic. And he eventually found out after a few days, uh, they were able to track him down, confirm he was okay. And this was a wake-up call for Sala. He really saw that he needed to do what he loved most in life to get the most out of it. And that's when he went back to uh, Michigan State University to become a defensive assistant. He worked in college ball for the first three years of his football career, just being a defensive assistant for Michigan State, Central Michigan, and and the University of Georgia. But then in 2005, he made the jump to the pros, and he was kept on Gary Kubiak's uh, Houston Texans coaching staff from 2006 till 2010 where he, was, he, he got a job with the Seattle Seahawks and became their defensive quality control coach from 2011 to 2013, where he oversaw the development and the prime of the Legion of Boom, which uh, guys like Richard Sherman, uh, Earl Thomas, give him a lot of credit for helping that group maximize their potential. After the Seahawks won their championship in 2013 against the Denver Broncos, He was hired as the Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker coach. Uh, He coached there for three years under Gus Bradley before being hired in 2017 as the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. And we all know what happened from there. Him and Shanahan built up a great team that made a Super Bowl run last year. That defense was phenomenal. And even this past year when they were hit with all those injuries, uh, they still finished top five in total defense, which is really impressive considering they lost all that superstar talent like Bosa, Sherman for a few games Solomon Thomas wasn't there it was really just a really impressive year as for him as a defensive coordinator and I cannot be more excited to have him on as our head coach of the New York Jets so not only do Salah's players love him uh, he's got a lot of friends around the league and this staff he's building is getting me really excited for this upcoming season on both sides of the ball defensive and offensive so the first thing that that kinda broke when he was first announced as head coach of the Jets was he would be bringing Michael LaFleur, 49ers passing game coordinator, with him as offensive coordinator for the Jets. And this is a really exciting prospect if you're a Jet fan, especially if you've been witnessing these Gase offenses, these ranked dead last in yards per game and points per game and all of this stuff. Michael LaFleur is going to be bringing that West Coast, like Shanahan offense to the Jets. And that that is just absolutely amazing for us because we've witnessed some terrible offenses uh, over the past 10 years, I would say. Along with uh, Mike LaFleur, he'll be bringing offensive line coach John Benton from the 49ers. Uh, They've had a great offensive line the past few years. Definitely need something like that to help establish that uh, Shanahan offense. You know, the run game is very important to set up that play action. Quarterback coach Greg Knapps coming over from the Falcons to shore up the QB room. Running backs coach Taylor Embry. Uh, Fun fact, he will be five years younger than last year's starting running back, Frank Gore. He's 32. Gore was 37. Uh, wide receivers coach Miles Austin, who you may have remembered his name. He was a Dallas Cowboys receiver, played for the Browns and the Eagles at the end of his career. He'll be our running our wide receivers coach, excuse me. And Rob Calabrese will be our passing game specialist. He is currently, or is the Broncos' offensive quality control coach. There's not a lot of word on defensive coaches yet. I think he's been doing interviews the past week or so since he's he's been hired. I'm sure whoever he brings on will be an awesome coach. He knows defense very well. If anything, I think Sala will be calling the shots on defense most of the time. So speaking of Sala being hired as the head coach of the Jets, uh, a lot more uh, head coaching positions have been filled out across the league. So we have uh, Robert Sala being hired by the Jets. The Jaguars, the, the day before, hired Urban Meyer, uh, legendary college coach, coached at Florida, Ohio State. Uh, he's, he's a, he was a proven commodity in college ball. We'll see how he translates over to the NFL. And the question that that comes out of this is, is there a debate between Fields and Lawrence at number one? Because, you know, Urban Meyer has those Ohio State ties. And I I sincerely doubt that. I think the only reason why he took this job was for Trevor Lawrence, the greatest quarterback prospect since who knows how long. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he'll be picking Lawrence at one. That's the reason why he went there. The Falcons hired Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator from the Titans. If If the Falcons don't blow up their entire, like, core, like, you know, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones... Uh, some, some key pieces and veterans on that defense. Could they be rejuvenated by Arthur Smith? Could they retap that Super Bowl potential? I don't know. It's been a few years since they made that that uh, big playoff run in the Super Bowl and blew that lead to the Patriots, but who knows? Maybe Smith's got some tricks up his sleeve to get him going again. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers hired Brandon Staley. Staley was the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Uh, I think he's, he's really going to power up that defense. I'm excited to see how Joey Bosa, Derwin James, Kenneth Murray... Other young stars in that defense uh, step up with with his uh, expertise coming into the mix. I wonder who will be OC, who will uh, take the reins of Justin Herbert, that first year rookie sensation. We'll see. Uh, the Chargers will be an interesting team next year for sure, depending how Staley does as head coach over there. The Lions hired Saints assistant head coach Dan Campbell. I don't know a lot about Campbell. The Jets didn't even hire him, or excuse me, interview him, so I didn't really uh, do any research on him. I know he's bringing Aaron Glenn over as defensive coordinator as as of right now. Uh, we had we interviewed him for our head coaching vacancy, but to be honest with you, don't know a lot about Campbell. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but it's the Lions, and we still have two vacant head coaching uh, positions. We have the Eagles who haven't hired anybody yet, and the Houston Texans, which is probably the least desired job in pro football right now, just considering the uh, the disarray and chaos that franchise is stuck in right now speaking of which that's all coming from their star quarterback Deshaun Watson he has not been happy the past few weeks according to some sources uh, Deshaun Watson was promised at the end of the season that he would have input on the general manager and head coaching search by team owner Cal McNair and apparently that was a complete and total lie Deshaun had no say in the hiring of new general manager Nick Cassero and Deshaun was was pushing for interviews with Eric Bieniemy and Robert Sala. Now granted the Texans did give Biennemi an interview, but that was a week or week and a half or so after Deshaun had come out and said, what the hell, why are you hiring the guys I want? So there's a lot of drama going on over there. It makes that job really, really lackluster. No first round pick, no second round pick for the next year or so. I don't think anyone really is interested in trying to get there right now. But speaking of Deshaun Watson... <laughs> right now, the Jets are the, the betting favorites to land Deshaun Watson should he demand a trade and force his way out of Houston. Um, coming from a Jeff fan, I, I, it's it's too good to be true. There is there, there's no way that this superstar franchise quarterback could actually want to come to the Jets. But apparently, he's he's very high on Sala, almost as high as he as he was with the enemy. And recently, the fire has been stirred by him and his agent. Uh, His agent and Deshaun have been liking certain things on social media, such as the New York Post back page about the Jets trying to trade for Watson, other Jets fans uh, trying to attempt to lure him (laughs) to New York. He was spotted at the Brooklyn Nets game on Monday night this week, which was, you know, apparently he's really tight with KD and James Harden. Maybe he wants to come play in New York with them. And regardless of all this stuff, even if even if Jets fans aren't trying to lure him, even if he's not not has all these connections and all this social media stuff, the Jets should absolutely be all in on trying to trade for him. If not to better the team, but to keep him out of Miami, because a- apparently the the Dolphins are really high on Deshaun as well. I mean, who who isn't high on Deshaun? But what I'm saying is, can you imagine going into the into the, the division next year, the division race, having to go against Josh Allen and the Bills and Deshaun Watson and the Dolphins twice a year? At that point, you're better off just tearing the whole thing down and just rebuilding for the future because those teams would be positioned to compete for the next 10 years for the division title and compete for a Super Bowl. Like, if, if the Dolphins get Deshaun, this is doomsday scenario. This is the, the darkest timeline that we have entered here as, as Jets fans. So what, what Joe Douglas needs to do is get on the phone. He needs to know what the asking price is for Deshaun Watson in Houston. It's probably going to be something astronomical. It's not often that a 25-year-old franchise quarterback is available like this, but I think the Jets could put together the best available package out of any team in pro football right now. I would say a potential package for Deshaun would include Sam Darnold. You gotta add number two overall, maybe the Seattle late first-round pick or our early second-round pick, and the Seattle first in 2022, and maybe if you even have to, our first-rounder in 2023. When you, go, when you can go and get a franchise quarterback in his prime, you do it. There's no questions asked. When, when's the last time the Jets had the superstar potential at quarterback? We thought Sam had it his rookie year. We thought maybe Mark Sanchez had something with those playoff runs, but we haven't had a, an it factor at quarterback since Joe Namath. We haven't had a quarterback that can put the team on his back and win a game by himself in I don't know how long. Not in my lifetime, 100%. If this is if this is there is even an inch of possibility that the Texans can move off to Sean Watson, Joe Douglas needs to get on the phone right freaking now and call them and say, Here's what I got, what do you say? That's all there is to it. He is the best available player at all right now. And even as betting favorites, they need to get on the phone with the Texans. See what it's gonna cost, see what you can do with that. Because Deshaun Watson would instantly change the entire Look of the Jets more than Joe Douglas has done so far more than the hiring of Robert Sala has It would instantly put this team on the map attract free agents attract players other coaches. This needs to be done And that's all I'll say about it So from there, let's take it into the divisional round of the 2020 NFL playoffs this past weekend We had four great games each game was great in their own way, but uh, let's uh, let's start from the top. From the first game of the weekend, we had the Rams going to Green Bay to play the number one seed Packers. Started out a little slow for the Rams. Uh, the, the The Packers came out and had a nice mix of run pass offense. Um, they jumped out to an early sixteen to three lead, and that's when the Rams started to kick it up a notch a little bit. Jared Goff was actually slinging it. I thought it was going to be a bit more of like last week's offense when they played in Seattle, uh, mostly runs with setting up that play-action game. But Goff had a, had a few nice throws, definitely a lot more than he did last week. And they were able to uh, cut the lead to about 16-10 to 10 with like 30 seconds remaining. But that's when Rodgers started working some magic, and he made his way down the field in the last 30 seconds of the half to set up for a quick field goal to make it 19-10 to 10 going into halftime. Uh, Aaron Jones kicked off the second half with a big 50-yard run, capped it off with his own touchdown to make it 23 to uh, to 10. The Rams put together another solid drive with a lot of a lot of cam makers. He scored off a wildcat run, made a two point to make it 18 to 25 at the end of the third. And then the Rams offense kind of kind of choked up a little bit, and the Packers took the top off the defense in the last few minutes with a 60-yard touchdown to Alan Lazard to make it 32 to 18. And then the Packers were able just to get the ball back, run the run the clock out, and it was ended up like a, a victory for the for the Packers, 32 to 18. So they they're moving on to the NFC Championship game. The Rams go home. Uh, you had to feel bad for Aaron Donald. He he went out there with torn rib ligament cart, cartilage, and he played a, a hell of a game. He didn't play every snap, but when he was out there, you could tell he was trying. Uh, maybe next year when the Rams are a bit healthier, they have another year to. You know settle in Uh, I, I read an article this past week about how Jared Goff and Sean McVay their relationships a little on the rocks right now they need some counseling we'll see how that plays out but the Rams go home Packers move on so Saturday night we had the Ravens going to Buffalo to play the Bills and it started off super sloppy the first half was pretty disgusting Uh, Not a lot of good football. I mean, good defensive football, but the offense, neither team could get moving. Missed field goals all over the place. Uh, Tyler Bass and Justin Tucker both couldn't get it it right. Tucker hit the the crossbar twice. Moss missed one, I believe, and it it went into halftime 3-3. And that's when it kind of got a little bit better. Uh, The Bills came out, scored a touchdown, went up 10-3. And the Ravens came out that next drive, and they, and they were looking better. They, they looked a li- like, like some good halftime adjustments, and they got all the way down to, to uh, about the 10-yard line of the Bills, and that's when the game really kind of flopped towards Buffalo. Lamar threw a, an interception, the first of his career in the red zone, and it was taken back 101 yards by Taron Johnson. And at that point, you just kind of knew it was uh, it was going to be tough for the Ravens to get back in this one. Uh, the Ravens came out in that following drive, and Lamar took a nasty hit, and he came out with a concussion. Uh, Tyler Huntley came in to replace Lamar for the for the last quarter or so, and from there it just wasn't too much of a game. Buffalo was able to run the rest of the clock out, didn't didn't put any more points on the board, and they ended up winning at 17 to three. The Ravens had a tough game. I, I I think they were they were outcoached a little bit. They didn't seem too ready to play against this Buffalo team. Um, the Bills didn't have a great game by any means either. They, they were really sloppy in the first half. It took them a while to get things going. But the, the Bills are going to be moving on, and the Ravens go home in the divisional round for the second consecutive year. Sunday afternoon, we kicked off our first set of games with the Browns going to Kansas City to play the defending champion, Chiefs. and uh, The Chiefs were a little, uh, little handicapped going into the game. They didn't have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Le'Veon Bell, and Darren Williams got the start. Uh, the, the Chiefs started hot. They came out. They scored a touchdown on the first drive. Mahomes took it himself on a keeper. The Browns lost their left tackle, Jedrick Wills, on the first offensive play. And after that, they actually put together a, a decent, solid drive, converting some key third downs, which was a a key theme throughout the game, as, as the Browns would, would con- convert a lot of key third downs that no one really was expecting them to. Uh, the Chiefs kind of went up early. With three minutes left to go in the half, they were up 16-3, to and the Browns got going on a little drive. Baker was taking them down the field, they start, finally started running the ball a bit more, and Baker threw a, a, a great throw to Rashard Higgins, who caught it around the 7 yard line, and really tried to take it down there to the end zone. He dove, stretched the ball out, out comes the ball, it goes out to the, uh, the back of the end zone, and touchback, Chiefs ball. Now I can't say enough how terrible this rule is in football. I, I, I know I don't know what the alternative is, what, the, what another punishment can be for fumbling out of bounds in, in the end zone, but it just completely took the air out of the game. like at that point, it, even if even if he was down at the one yard line, let's say the, the Browns score there, it's 16 to 10. This is a completely different game if, if the, this, this rule isn't there. It, it, it makes for a more interesting, a more fun game. And obviously, it might be some uh, some sour grapes from the Austin Safarian-Jenkins game, uh, Jets-Pats 2017. But still, just uh, the worst rule in football. I think they should really take a look at that. And even regardless, uh, you had that, the helmet-to-helmet that was blatantly missed by the referees. And obviously, even after they reviewed it, they couldn't call a penalty on that. That's not how it works. But just uh, a complete mismanagement of, of the game there by the NFL so the, the Chiefs got the ball back, took it down the field, quick field goal before halftime to make it 19-3. And then the Browns came out in the second half, and they got back to what they were they were doing in the regular season. They started running the ball. Uh, Baker threw an interception, but the Chiefs weren't able to cash into the end zone. They had to settle for another field goal to make it 22-3. to But then the Browns were able to come back a little bit. They scored two touchdowns. Uh, it was 10-19, to 10-22. Um, and then this is when Mahomes... Was uh, taken out of the game. He he. Uh, there was Andy Reid called an RPO. He took it to the right side, right hash mark, and he got taken down by by a bronze linebacker. And it didn't look like Mahomes had gotten hit that hard, but you could tell as soon as he got up, he couldn't get his legs underneath him. He he got up. The camera zoomed in on him, and he looked like he had no idea where he was. He definitely something happened there, and that's gonna be something to look at as we head into the conference championship breakdown. But yeah, Mahomes was done for the game at that point. He was taken out and put into concussion protocol and in comes Chad Henney. At this point, all my friends are texting me. I'm texting my friends. The Browns are going to win this game. There's no way Chad Henney's going to going to win it for the Chiefs. Like it's just he's a backup quarterback. He's 32. It's his first playoff game. There's no shot. And what I said to them, anything is possible. You hear me? Anything is possible. The Browns came back once again, made it 17-22 with about 8 minutes left, and the Chiefs got the ball. Chad Henney threw it up, got picked off in the end zone. The Browns' drive stalled out, the Chiefs' defense stepped it up, and the Chiefs got the ball back with about 4 minutes left. Now, the Browns' defense definitely stepped up on on, on this game, especially towards the end, and it it came down to a 3rd-and-14 for the Chiefs with about two and a half minutes left. Henny took it himself, and he ran it 14 yards, but it still wasn't enough. Up came 4th and inches with about a minute 50 left in the game, and this was it. The, the Browns were out of times at timeout. Uh, the Chiefs had, had this one last chance. They, they could either punt, they could they could go for it, they could do all this stuff. But Andy Reid, the cojones on this man, on this Hall of Fame legendary coach on fourth and inches he called a pass play and Patrick Mahomes isn't in the game mind you Chad Henney is and Henney delivered he threw a great little uh, little button, button hook to Tyreek Hill to convert that fourth down and ice the game and so the defending champs move back to the AFC Championship game one game away from reappearing in the Super Bowl and the Browns go home with a brighter future than they might have ever had. Capping off our four-game Divisional Round weekend, we had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the New Orleans Saints and playing a team that they lost to twice in the regular season. Both uh, pretty ugly games for the Buccaneers. So, it uh, started out pretty solid uh, for the Saints. Their defense was really stifling that Bucks offense and Brady in the first quarter or so. Saints special teams was, ha- was having also a, a great quarter. Saints punt return, Deontay Harris takes the first punt return, uh, 54 yards all the way down to the Tampa Bay 20-yard line where the Saints had to settle for a field goal. Bucks had another three and out, and Deontay Harris took it all the way to the house, but a block in the back negated that return, so the Saints got the ball at their own 30. They, ha- they couldn't also, again, get in the end zone, so they had an early 6 nothing lead in the in, late in the first quarter. And by that point, the, the Bucks offense finally got the rust off and they started moving. They got their own field goal, making it 6-3. And this is when the meltdown of the Saints really started to happen. Drew Brees threw his first interception. Uh, M- Murphy Bunting took it all the way to the three-yard line uh, of, the, of the Saints. And that's when the Buccaneers scored the first touchdown of the game. Brady to Mike Evans and it put the Bucks up 10-6 uh, early in the second quarter. This is when it got a little interesting. The Saints had a little trick play. Drew Brees took a a, a third and one QB sneak to get the first down. And he came off the field. And everyone was like, oh, did he hurt himself on that play or something? Did did something happen? And here comes famous Jameis checking in. Uh, So it it was interesting. It was like a wildcat. Jameis lined up as a receiver. And Alvin Kamara took the wildcat snap. There was a few laterals. And eventually Jameis ended up with the ball. About five, seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. And he had a wide open Traquan Smith to put the Saints up 13-10. And it was uh it was pretty pretty awesome to see Jameis come in like that and dunk on his former team real quick. But after that, uh, it uh it, it went into halftime, tied up 13-13. And at this point, no one really knew how this game was gonna go. It seemed evenly matched. So coming out in the third quarter. Drew Brees threw his final touchdown to Traquan Smith for his second touchdown of the night, and that was the last time the Saints would score. Uh, the following drive, Jared Cook, uh, Jared Cook would cough the ball up. Tampa Bay would take that that turnover and turn it into another touchdown. Uh, the Saints couldn't get the ball moving; they they kept punting. The running game really started heating up there. Uh, Leonard Fournette started really coming and coming in big in this game. Um, Saints defense just started getting tired out, and when you got a big, big running back with that much muscle mass like uh, Leonard Fournette, almost had Legarrette Blunt there, a very similar play style, but he was just completely battering that defense. Uh, the, the Bucks were able to score three touchdowns off all three Saints turnovers. Drew Brees, that third ter- turnover, he threw three picks, and it was really just it was tough to watch. Uh, considering we all knew going into this game it was Drew Brees' last of his career. The Bucks were able to run the clock out and win the game 30-20. to 20. Brady moves on to his 14th conference championship game, and the New Orleans Saints bow out of the playoffs once again, but this time the last time for Drew Brees. And I just wanted to, to say um, how thankful I am to grow up in the time period that I did in this football climate. I Growing up, I watched the greatest quarterbacks to ever do it. Every Sunday, every playoff season, every year. I, I, I was fortunate enough to watch guys like Drew Brees, guys like Philip Rivers, who also recently retired this week, announced his retirement. Um, I watched Peyton Manning. I watched Andrew Luck. I, I watched Tom Brady. I I just have to feel blessed to uh, witness these great quarterbacks who meant so much to so many people around the uh, National Football League and really changed the game to make it what it is. And can't say enough about that. But that was our divisional round. Uh, We have the we have the Buffalo Bills going to Kansas City next week to play the defending champions in our AFC Championship game. And Tom Brady and the Buccaneers going to Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin, to play the number one seed Packers. I am so psyched for this conference championship weekend. It's going to be a blast. Two great games, four great teams, four great quarterbacks. Uh, hopefully, four great quarterbacks. Hopefully, we, we get a uh, hope uh, Patrick Mahomes is uh, recovered enough to get into this game. But it's really going to be be a, a great weekend coming up. So the first game we get on Championship Sunday is the Bucks at Packers game. As of right now, the Packers are 3-point home favorites. It's going to be a, a cold day in Lambeau. It's going to be 29 degrees with 40% chance of an inch of, of an inch of snow. It's going to this game is going to be labeled as the Battle of the Goats. This is the first time Rodgers and Brady will be meeting in the playoffs. Two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um, and a little crazy interesting stat for you. This will be Aaron Rodgers' Aaron Rodgers's first home NFC Championship game appearance, and his fifth in his career. And it's just crazy to me how the, the quarterback Rodgers is. This will be the first time he's hosting it, and it's just it, it just goes to show what Rodgers ha- has had to deal with compared to someone like Brady and their respective careers. How much more Rodgers has had to go through to uh, make that make that those playoff runs and these these uh, appearances and whatnot. I think this is really going to be a great game. I think both offenses are going to be high-flying, going to be humming. If the Buccaneers' defense plays like like they did last week with their hairs on fire, they'll make it really hard to bow out. But uh, I still like the Packers at home here. Brady's going to have some experience playing in the cold due to his time in New England and Boston. It's pretty, uh, pretty similar weather, I'd say. But this uh, this young Buccaneers team might not have the experience to do what it takes to go to Lambeau and take down this Packers team, which is firing on all cylinders right now. They are very impressive. The offense is great. They didn't really they haven't really skipped a beat since missing David Bakhtiari, their all-star left tackle, who went down with that ACL right before the playoffs. Um, I think this will be a great game. Excited for this one. It's going to be uh, the battle of the goats. You know, I'm sure you'll hear that all week long. So. I'll still take the Packers. I think they, they are the better team, regardless of that week six. Um, Rodgers had a great quote this week. He said he was asked on the Pat McAfee show if that week six loss to the Buccaneers when the Packers played them this, this year, is that matter does that matter? And Rodgers replied with, it matters about as much as the uh, both times the, the Bucks lost to the Saints in the regular season, which I cannot agree with more. You can't really base how this game is going to go off for the regular season Team start 0-0 zero zero when it comes to playoff time, so this is going to be a phenomenal game, and I absolutely cannot wait for it. Still taking the Packers, though. I'm going to predict a final score of 30-26 to 26 or 20... Yeah, 30-27. to 27. I'll take that. 30-27. to 27. So the second game of the afternoon, we have Bills at Chiefs. As of right now, the Chiefs are minus 3, home favorites. It's going to be 35 degrees with a 40% chance of rain, Gonna be a little windy. Wind speeds up to five to ten miles per hour. And I think the number one question people have going into this game is, will Patrick Mahomes play? And all the talk I've heard this week, uh, it's looking it's looking like he's trending in the right direction. He practiced in full today. Um, that concussion definitely uh, was a, was gonna, was going to be an issue this week. He he definitely needs to take it slow before going into this game. But uh, the hope is he will be ready to play when it comes down to it. And my projections will be based on Mahomes playing at full strength. full strength. So um, I think this is going to be just as good, if not better, than Bucks packers I think we'll see a bit more offense, um, especially because that Green Bay Packers defense, along with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, are, are, I would say, a bit better than both the Chiefs and Bills defenses. But I'm expecting a huge game from Josh Allen and, and Stephon Diggs, huge game from Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. Maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will be able to come back for this one. But definitely going to be a great game to watch. A lot of fun this uh, this upcoming championship Sunday. My initial Super Bowl pick uh, going into the playoffs was Packers-Bills. Because I thought the Chiefs were playing a little slow to cap off the regular season. But watching last week, I think with Mahomes coming back, they'll get a little bit of a jolt of energy. And uh, the Chiefs will eventually win this game. I would say 38-34. to Pretty high-scoring game there. Um... That leaves us with the Super Bowl of packers Chiefs, which is something that I would absolutely love to see. Uh, The old versus the new. The new superstar versus the aging superstar. Two quarterbacks who have revolutionized the game of football. Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes. And obviously I'm not going to get into this yet because this isn't our final Super Bowl, but what a game that would be. Two of the all-time greats. And, well, I should say one of the will-be all-time greats. But that would be my dream Super Bowl right there. So to wrap up today's podcast, I think we're just going to end it off with super hype about the Robert Sala hire. Can't wait to see how the jets handle free agency, uh, who they decided to bring back and resign, who they decided to pursue, how the draft is going to play out. We're going to have a lot of content to break down even after the playoffs. And so make sure you stick around, make sure you subscribe, drop a rating on the podcast. It's always going to help, uh, help get our, our stuff out there. And, uh, Yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and I'll see you again next week. Take care.